Welcome to another edition of Reptile Fight Club. I'm Good Justin evening. Leiner. And I'm Chuck Poland. We are the hosts of the show. <laughs> you didn't know that already. All right. Well, um, how's it going, my, my friend Chuck? Good, dude. Good. Just, uh, you know, staying busy. Uh, like I uh, said earlier, I, I had uh, some new windows put in my house. So I, we did the downstairs first and we just did the upstairs. So now we have all new windows. So that's something that uh, feels just fantastic having new windows. So that's been that was nice. Um, work's been busy. Um, you know, the uh, just waiting on um some Felsuma grandis eggs. Uh, the ones that I got right after our first show are on day like 43, I think. So oh, cool. ex- expecting some hatch hatching action next week sometime, hopefully. Um, so That's that'll cool. be, yeah. So that'll be the first day gecko eggs I get. Uh, and uh, right hopefully, hopefully not the last, you know, more, yeah. more <laughs> to come. Always fun to hatch out a new species, that's for sure. Absolutely, cool. absolutely. Yeah. How about you, dude? Are you are you worried about those tiny little uh, baby geckos? <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah. Well, that's I crazy. mean, if yeah. I can, if if I can, if I can get those uh, William side back in the in in their enclosures after them getting out, uh, I can I can probably handle these grandest babies. But uh, yeah. but yeah, yeah, they're they're pretty small, man. I mean, you know, um, yeah. relatively speaking. Uh, they're, they're definitely the smallest lizards, uh, the, or geckos that I've, uh, ever worked with. So, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. fun, fun, fun. Um, but, but yeah, it's definitely a kind of, uh, got to have a little finesse when you try to try to catch them and, and, uh, handle them if you, if you so dare. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, uh, good nice. times. Well, yeah, I've, uh, same kind of thing. I just had some uh, eggs hatched uh, this week. So it was a little bit of surprise because I got some eggs from a pair of uh, spotted pythons. They're Cape York spotted. Nice. And I've, I've had them for a while and all the eggs I've gotten in the past have just gone bad. So I thought maybe the pair just wasn't compatible or the, the male was a dud or something. But finally, mm-hmm. I got some eggs hatching and four of the five are granites. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's not good because that means they were crossbred with normal spotteds and they're not pure Cape Yorks. So I thought they looked a little different, kind of like looked a little neater, or you know, kind of uh, a little different than a lot of the Cape Yorks that I or that I bred or seen or whatever. And so they had kind of a more reduced pattern look, and I was assured they were pure Cape Yorks, but I'm beginning to think. I was lied to. <laughs> yeah. Sounds so, like, yeah, it. that sucks. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, they're still spotted. Well, I don't know now that with the new species of spotted Python, maybe they're, they're hybrids or, or uh, intergrades at least. So, um, I don't yeah. know if you, if you buy into that, that answer, use your paper, <laughs> which well, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I and mean, you know, they're, they're somewhat different. The, the Cape Yorks versus the Southern spotted are, are fairly different in appearance yeah. and, well, I, I don't think you uh, you definitely want the uh, the paper to make your case for you having yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> spotted. You know, I guess yeah. that's that's really not how you wanted that to work out. But no, oh, that I sucks, man. That's uh, but you know I what mean, do you do? I guess I'll represent yeah. them like what they are. But they're they're cool looking. I mean, it's kind of like a shock. Like, what the heck are those? I, yeah, I did not expect to see those. You know, so we'll we'll see how they do. But 
And then, uh, I, I don't know, I went out herping last night and I, I got a text from a buddy down in, uh, he's about, he's a couple hours south of me. And he's like, Hey man, you want to go herping tonight? I'm, I'm headed out there. I'm like, sure. And so I jumped in the car and drove a couple hours, took my youngest daughter summer and we went out herping with him and got home about three 30 in the morning. So <laughs> had a nice. little bit of a, I slept in a little bit today, which uh, was probably important and necessary, but yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a little, little tired, but hopefully I'll be able to fight today. Keep my wits about me, but yeah, it was fun. We, we saw a couple, uh, gopher snakes, um, a beautiful, uh, long nose snake that had just been hit by a car. So it was still alive. That was a bummer. It was really yeah. a pretty one. And then, uh, 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 Oregonus, Lutosis, one of the Great Basin rattlesnakes had, had been hit by a car as well. So that's the downside of road cruising, as you're going to see. Yeah, road kills. Yeah. So, yeah, that's But it suck. was fun to get out. And my daughter was really excited and we had fun. So it was fun to see her get excited about some um, species. You know, they're fairly common around here, but it's always fun to find um, snakes. I, I've always liked gopher snakes quite a bit. They're, they're one of my favorites. One of my first pets was a gopher snake. So they have a special place in my heart. So. Nice. Well, nice. Well, it would have been nice to see that long snake, uh, the long nose snake alive though. That would have been, that would have been cool. Yeah. yeah. It's been a, been a couple of years since I've seen, well, yeah, it's been a couple of years since I've seen a long nose out there, but it's been a few years since I've been out there, uh, out in kind of Period. central Utah period. Yeah. So, um, but it was, it was fun. Uh, good times but cool yeah um what else i yeah things are just i'm still trying to catch up after that west texas trip and hope, hopefully everybody enjoyed the the discussion of the um guys on when, when we were out there in west texas that was kind of a fun one so hopefully you guys enjoyed that the thp um, npr guys yeah yeah that was a good uh, good discussion it was a good discussion uh, it was it would have been better if you were there Chad, you know <laughs> I, I was not gonna mention this but i i i, I was sad and, and you know we and, gotta and, get more clout we're, we're still newbies in this game yeah so we... <laughs> that's that's fine that's fine yeah yeah i i uh <laughs> I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm working on some uh, 3D prints as well, so they're they're just finishing up. So hopefully that's not too noisy. You can't hear that in the background, but I don't hear anything. Okay, that's good. My 3D printer's running there, so we'll see if that uh, hopefully doesn't come through. But what um, are you making? I'm making some uh, uh, food bowl holders for my blue tongue skiing. So I've got a design that I yeah, I had a previous desi- design that uh, you drill a couple holes in the side of the um, tub and then click click these little tabs in the, through the plastic and, and it would kind of has two little circles, one for food and one for water mm-hmm. kind of to hold it mm-hmm. up. So then they can kind of go underneath it and it's not quite as bulky as a water bowl in the middle of their um, yeah. tub. And so, you know, when you got 30 baby blue tongue skiing, so you got to get a little creative to Dude. house them. So I've been housing them in a rack system. But. Do your skinks jack up? Like if you were to put like um, like water bowls and stuff like that, they, they, do they knock them around? And They just it, fill them it, up with, with gotcha. the substrate. Yeah, so it's kind of obnoxious that way. So this yeah, kind yeah. of puts them up a little bit higher, but also so they can get underneath them and have more more uh, cage space uh, to yep. get around and stuff. Yep. So. It, now is, it worked it, out really nice, but then but then they would bend down a little bit, or you know they're kind of awkward. So I'm putting a, a an an edge on the that goes against the back wall, so it's kind of like keeps it from pulling I, down. 
I was going to say floozy, but I think the word was flimsy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're not floozies. They're floozies. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's not, that's not the right word. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully this will keep it from, um, either breaking those tabs off or pulling down too far, uh, give it a little more stability. So yeah. it's just, yeah, finishing up on those. Has, has that 3d printer been, been pretty clutch for you as far as, you know, just yeah, doing, doing little, you know, like, I mean, I, I know you've got, um, yeah, know, a lot frankly, of different I don't stuff. Know, so I don't know why everybody in the reptile hobby doesn't have one. I mean, it was, I think it was, I paid 250 bucks and a spool of plastics, like maybe 30 bucks and it lasts quite a bit. So, and I've just, I've just, printed out fun designs, you know, printed out an egg, uh, egg separator, little round disc for, for, you know, gecko eggs to sit over suspended over water or, you know, substrate that's saturated to give them that, you know, humidity or whatever. Um, I've printed out these you know, water bowl holders. I've printed out another one for the carpets. That's like, it's basically like a circle for the water bowl, but then it's got some perches that come off it. So, I don't know, just for like you know, baby, whatever. for like babies and stuff, or yeah, yeah. Gotcha. So gotcha. they so they can climb up, and um, for all my anteresia, I've done like a little shelf with a water bowl holder, so they can climb. They have you know additional yeah. space in their cage. So yeah, it's it's a uh, it's great. Like it, it, it makes a lot of sense for babies and like yeah. small small species and for stuff sure. like that. That I I totally see the yeah. the. Uh, so it's the been awesomeness in that. Yeah, it's been uh, indispensable, and it was only a couple hundred bucks, you know. So yeah. I, yeah, it's yeah, it's fantastic, and yeah, it does take a little bit of, I don't know. I I just use an online program called Tinkercad, and I can design my stuff on there, and then just export it to through these other programs. I just learned everything online. It was pretty simple. YouTube, you know, how to, how to pretty much, yeah. yeah. So. Um, as far as, uh, you know, printing stuff and coming up with ideas and then seeing them, you know, come, come to fruition is kind of fun. It's kind of nice. an exciting process. Yeah. So yeah, I spent, spent, you know, most of the day out in the reptile room kind of cleaning and, and setting stuff up and getting things going. And I got a few of my Western, uh, Stimson's pythons that ate their first, you know, offering. So that was nice. It's always nice to see those things Heck yes, without dude. much hassle. So I, I, you know, I think about like, you know, this is, uh, I think I, I still, I'm still, these are my st- still like second generation captive bred, uh, from the ones that I got, you know, which were also yeah. captive bred and imported from Europe. So, um, they're, they're probably fourth or fifth generation captive bred and, they're starting to, you know, the first generation I had, the first babies were a little tricky, but these mm-hmm. are a little easier. And then now would you say that, that, that your tricks got better or they're just getting a little, they're just getting less finicky? I mean, I are you know. still I mean, using just, some I, of your, your, are you still throwing your best moves at them or what? <laughs> I, I just threw pinkies in the cage and they ate them. So <laughs> no tricks involved. It's just, all right. That sounds you know, pretty good off the bat eating a pinky. So you yeah. know, maybe I let them stay a little longer. I, when I when I get a clutch that hatches, I put them all inside a a tub within a rack system just to let them shed out and kind of. I think in the wild, that's kind of what hatchlings do as well. They hatch out and they kind of stick in in the place where they're hatched to some extent. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Nobody really knows. There's not too much data on that, but it seems yeah. like the babies will hang out near the nest site a little longer. 
till they get their wits about them, shed out that kind of stuff, and then that would make that would make kind sense. of branch Finish. out. Yeah, they've got their yoke. They've they've absorbed, uh-huh. and they're you know they're not needing to go anywhere. And if yeah, it, it'd if, be really interesting to follow around a you know baby uh, python, yeah. you know, hatchling python, see what they do, and it would be it, it, it. Yeah, I mean that would be something that that could be done uh, for sure. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, if you're <laughs> radio tracking them you know to get a yeah a tag small enough to well i think you could you could probably find a nest and and put a put a camera in it and and just yeah. see like what you know i mean maybe yeah i think radio tracking them would be a little tough yeah. um yeah but. that'd be cool i i heard where did i hear this i heard probably on a, a reptile podcast where they're talking about a new type of transmitter that has like uh um it's like a cell cell tracker, something like that. Like it's got an antenna that's. Um, <laughs> it like monitors their cell phone signal. I guess, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> but it can track them over over you know quite a quite a large distance with this uh, thing. It's still in beta testing. I don't know how well it work, and I think it was um, solar powered, so it didn't need gotcha. a battery pack. Which that's the battery pack is the most yeah. bulky part of any of those kind of radio transmitter devices. So. Do it's you have to have a cell tower in the area? I mean, I, I think that's part. I don't know. I can't remember the yeah. details on it. I'll have to go. I think it was on maybe on that Snake Talk podcast, but uh, uh, I can't remember. But it was a researcher that was using these for you know kind of a, as a beta test. So you know, hopefully, technology gets better and we can see more in you know into the lives of these animals without being too intrusive and sure. Um, making them wear a giant backpack or something <laughs> here <laughs> yeah. put this on yeah it's a little yeah. hard with a snake where they don't ah, have legs, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah 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 more more like um well sock. yeah anything else going on uh no not really um just yeah, uh just going life as usual yeah going back home um in a couple weeks with my daughters to see oh, nice. uh see the family uh yeah. girls haven't seen grandma in a while so um i see my That's sister and and uh her husband and uh and you're from indiana indiana yeah nice. indianapolis indiana so okay. um get Very back cool. to uh to the land of corn so yeah, shout out to the poland family yeah <laughs> yeah That's so cool. it'll be fun we always have a good time my my family's pretty pretty uh pretty fun uh, so, uh, sh- should be good. Um, but you know, as always like going on a trip, um, you know, my wife's not horrible with the animals, but she's not really trying to work with them either. So yeah. it's, it's, uh, always Just a stressful. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. yeah. So it's, a, it's a, you know, like, I just don't want to get a phone call like, Oh, one of the little Williams I got out. Cause you know, yeah. <laughs> like, so, yeah. um, you, yeah. you can't get mad because it's like no, you can't get favor, mad. You know? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you just got to smile and say, thanks, honey. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, That's I've what I did. That, uh, experience when I went to Australia and Heidi was watching the animals and she was telling me how she was fed the green trees, a rat and the Walmas a mouse. And I'm thinking, or Centralians a mouse. And I'm like, okay, yeah, thank you. Thanks for coming <laughs> Oh no, I hope I'm not coming home to a, a dead uh, chondro and a, and a starving uh, Centralian, brittle. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, it's it's nice when the, the wives can uh, 
help out. That's, I mean, it's definitely, I I definitely, I mean, my wife is not a reptile person. I mean, she likes, she likes the lizards better than the snakes, but, uh, I appreciate all of her support. So, um, you know, she, she definitely, yep, for sure. For sure. You know, if your, uh, if your significant other doesn't support it, it makes it tough. So, um, so I appreciate the support. Right on, man. Well, should we get into it? You ready to to throw down? Yeah, let's uh, let's let's do this. Okay, so today our our topic of choice is the pros and cons of reptile regulations. Yeah, if they are uh, helpful or beneficial, or in what ways they just kind of fall short. So, um, we'll go ahead with the uh, coin toss, and sure, I'll let you call it in the air. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, let's go tails. You got it, man. It's yes. Tails. That's amazing. You won one. That's I did. <laughs> Incredible. All right. Well, it's, it's, you- it's, my father used to say that a blind hog finds an acorn once in a while. And I have no <laughs> idea what that means, but I feel like in this situation, that's what he meant. Yeah. So, um, All right. Way to go, you hog, you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You got so, that acorn. Um, you want to go? I will take the pro legislation side here. I'll throw oh, you a bone. Oh, and, oh, yeah. Well, oh. I, you know, I, I, I'm prepared to not be quite popular. So, um, <laughs> right on. Know. Well, there's, you know, there's something to be said. And I guess with, with anything, you know, like we, we may not, I guess that's the disclaimer for all of our episodes is we may not necessarily espouse the views that we, uh, argue. So, just keep that in mind when you're listening. Yeah. So don't hate, just, don't hate, don't hate yeah. my words. Don't hate yeah, me. Just for because my words. I'm, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just because I'm on the con side doesn't mean I yeah, hate the government and want to have no regulations at all. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, you get the option to lead us I, out or to. I, I will defer. Go okay. Ahead. I figured you might. Of course. You know <laughs> okay. my you know my modus operandi. I know your strategy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll take you down regardless here. Let's see. You, you <laughs> so. proceed. Okay. So I, I guess the, the main and probably the easiest argument is that most of the regulations come from people that are ignorant to reptiles in general. They just see them as something bad and scary and dangerous. And so they want to kind of give something to their constituents that makes it look like they're doing something. So they're like, oh, let's go after the reptiles. That's not many people like reptiles. So that'll be easy, low hanging fruit. So let's go ahead and, uh, you know, take them down a peg or two. And so it's, it's a little easier to get that legislation enacted. Not many people are going to fuss about it too much except for reptile keepers. And so, you know, what's the point of having legislation and laws in place that mostly and, and most generally are are unenforceable. Um, they don't have the manpower to enforce them. And second off, they, they don't do anything. They're not, I mean, like banning, you know, Burmese pythons in Florida after they've established themselves in the wild. What is the point of that? You know, then you're just maybe contributing to more being released because, Oh, all of a sudden now they're illegal and you got to get rid of them. So what do you do? You, you know, they might, 
irresponsible keepers might let them go in their backyard in Florida. So just contributing to the problem more. So I would, I would uh, lead with that, that regulations typically are not made by people who understand or, or even care or like reptiles. They're not necessarily to help the reptiles, but more so to help their uh, political careers. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's, and that's, that's an unfortunate, um, that's an unfortunate truth. Uh, but you know, I do think that, um, uh, even though a lot of these politicians that put these, uh, legislative laws and, and regulations, uh, out there to be, to be adopted and voted on, um, they're advised and hopefully they're advised by people who are experts in, um, you know, their field of expertise and hopefully they're getting, uh, some input. And I think, you know, in, in any type of a legislative thing, you, you definitely have two sides to it. And, and hopefully you have, uh, informed individuals who are coming in to lay credence to, you know, your, um, you know, your side. Uh, and, and I think it is unfortunate because, you know, we can all look back to the first time they tried to ban large constrictors in Florida and, you know, the, the USGS put out that absolutely crap survey, uh, about, you know, rising, uh, temperatures in North America and, you know, large constrictors spreading across the, you know, the continental U S and it's, you know, that's just, which we've seen, right. We've seen, yeah, it's, they're all over the place now, man. <laughs> they're everywhere. Yeah. I, saw I, them yesterday I, in Utah. Yeah. I swerve on the freeway. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. So These yeah, I mean, Burmese pythons obviously a bunch of crap. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, I, I think I would say that, that, um, you know, uh, unfortunately regulation can be agenda driven. Uh, and, and, you know, but I do, I do think that, um, you know, there's, there's reasons, uh, for legislation, for laws and for rules. I mean, it, you know, certainly, uh, you cannot have people out there just doing whatever they want. If if everything was legal, yeah. then people would be out just destroying habitat and pilfering, and you know there there needs to be. And and I think you know you you see fish and game. Uh, you you see you know um, you see uh, you know CITES CITES. Uh, laws out there or CITES uh, lists out there that, and, and those actually are there for a reason, right? I mean, you know, a lot of the animals that are on these CITES uh, are elevation, elevated concerns for their countries of origin or um, their, their, you know, their population. Um, And so the, you know, the people who are creating CITES, they, they don't pull that out of nowhere. It's not just somebody making that up. Now, do we see sometimes, you know, maybe an old, um, you know, an old taxonomical name that's outdated end up onto a CITES and you're like, what, what, what are you doing? Like, that's not, that's not even current. Do you guys know what you're doing? Well, you know, just because they're not using modern terminology or, or uh, modern taxonomy names doesn't mean that, that, you know, the point that they're making isn't there. So I would say that, you know, there are agencies out there um, who are enacting laws and those laws are meant to protect animals um, and, and, and to set up a framework for 
good the good the vast majority of us who are good actors in um you know in the reptile industry um but you know it and and it also sets up a consequence hopefully for those people who are bad actors um and you know i mean i i i do think that uh it gets into a dicey thing because you know I know people who are smugglers. Like I know people who smuggled and do I think that they're bad people? No, they're not. Not at all. Did they do something illegal? Yeah, they totally did. Um, but you know, they didn't, they weren't smuggling in suitcases and suitcases of animals. You know what I mean? And so I think it's, 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 you know, it's all in context, right? Um, did they break the law? Yeah. I, I guess I, I want to hit on that point that you, you mentioned um, regarding, you know, protecting of species. Now, um, you know, one of my favorite native species in Utah is the Gila monster, right? I really enjoy those and they're, they're really cool animals. Now it's prohibited to own one of those in Utah, you, you, unless you are one of the lucky few that get some kind of educational permit or something to, to keep those. So they're, they're illegal to keep and, and breed within Utah. Um, so, but, but they'll hand out permits all day long to, I mean, St. George is one of the fastest growing cities in America, you know, per capita. Um, and it's just exploding. They, they used to have, uh, so the state park, snow park or snow Canyon state park that had this long road through, you know, prime desert habitat. And you drive for a while until you get to the gates, and then you. And you're you're talking park. about they're handing out building permits, right? Is that now? Okay, now, yeah. I see. Yeah, now yeah, there okay. are houses the entire length of that they paved over that entire habitat yeah. where Gila monsters would roam. So yeah. you know they're not going to give me a permit to go in there before they just de- just destroy and demolish and pave over the habitat to collect any Gila monsters are there. So they'll kill them all day in the name of progress in the name of growth but then they're gonna say oh no you know let's have this law to prevent you from owning one responsibly within the state so i just find that hypocritical you know they say oh we care about the gila monsters we want to make it illegal to own and i get it you know i don't want to see them over collected i want to be able to see them in the wild and frankly you know they're not very active through most of the year so you only have a short window to even see one in the wild and i've been trying i've only seen two in you know 16 years I should have uh, doubled that on my last trip, but I was an hour late to see the two that they found this year. (laughs) What do you do? And, you know, I've seen a few others that have been observed. And that's probably a consequence of all this development is you're going to have more interactions between people and and those animals. Now, uh, I I would submit that is the population getting stronger from these regulations, from, from prohibiting collection? I would counter no they're not they're being you know the populations are being reduced and reduced especially in these areas where they're just paving but, but not because of the regular not because of regulation because of urban sprawl and um you know yeah, a, hu- I mean, a, a human centric creation of uh of environment right yeah but i guess my question is why does the why do these rules only apply to the you know the the poor little reptile hobbyist not the big corporations you know what i mean like why why uh why do they make regulations to stop something inconsequential like you know perhaps a few get collected out of the wild 
versus well, you know big business destroying the the habitat of thousands of animals sure you know what I mean? well and i think it's simply just a, a function of of money and and yeah. um you know an industry i mean so i, uh, so I would say yeah. that regulations in that regard are not doing a thing to protect the animals because they don't necessarily care about the animals as evidenced by their issuing permits to pave over their habitat and just you know, make well, those I, local populations become extinct in those areas. I mean, I hear what you're saying, but I think you kind of, uh, so I kind of think you're conflating two things, right? You're talking about, you're talking about, um, you know, the destruction of habitat, but then you're mm-hmm. also talking about how that destruction of habitat displaces those animals. And because there's a regulation there that you can't collect those animals. So first, firstly, there's no evidence to suggest that those animals just die uh, when that construction happens. So they're displaced for sure. Um, well, hopefully I mean, they don't die. I there's mean, there's plenty there's, of evidence that, that animals that are relocated die pretty quickly. And if you're paving over their habitat with them in it, are they not dying because sure. of that? And, of and you know, are. and and in yeah. Southern California, there are areas that are protected wildlife areas, and I'm sure the same in in Utah as well. Sure. So, I mean, I do think, and granted, you know, they're not big enough open space BLM land. Um, there's not enough of it out there. Um, and so, you know, that, that shouldn't be the sole refuge for wildlife, uh, is federal yeah. property. Um, but, um, nonetheless, yeah. now I you're mean, conflating that, things, right? Because we, we, we're talking about if, if we could collect an animal, you know, if there should be precedent to collect animals and to, you know, it, I, I'm all for protecting habitat and giving them somewhere to live in the no, wild. No, 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 no. I saying, understand what you're saying. I understand gonna, what you're saying. Yeah. I, I, well, I guess what I'm saying is that. In our conflations, does protecting the, does putting that protection on that animal hurt the animal um, versus so does taking it does allowing you to take it out of the wild and keep it in captivity does that help the animal um, it, it, as far as its problem around urban sprawl and habitat loss? Yeah, I guess I guess my point was. Um, the, the protections against, you know, or, or to protect the animals by prohibiting collectors versus the protections by allowing, you know, urban sprawl, um, are, are, you know, 10,000 to one, as far as I'm concerned, like if you, if you allowed a few to be collected, not going to impact the populations at all. But if you allow their, their habitat to be paved over, it's going to, it's going to decimate, you know, as comparatively, sure. it will be much more damaging. And but, then, but, yeah, there are some forward thinking individuals that, that set aside quite a large uh, area of land for, for the animals to, to remain and to have stable populations. And that's, that's very, you know, that's, that, those efforts are to be applauded. And those are the more um, useful, uh, you know, areas of regulation, regulating against businesses or regulating yeah. You know, the protection of lands. I think well, and I mean, I think, I, I think, you know, you're probably talking about something like 8 billion people on the planet. And, and you know, like you said, when you were herping, you, you saw a lot of DOR snakes. And it's just when wildlife comes into contact with, with modern human societies, you know, there's, yeah. uh, th- there is carnage uh, for, for, for wildlife. Uh, and, that's unfortunate. And, and it's, it, you know, it's something that 
as humans, we should be taking into consideration doing more wildlife bridges and all these all these things that we've seen were actually work to help protect wildlife. Um, but you know, fundamentally, the issue is that as a society, we just continue to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And that, you know, in the, that push between animals and humans, the animals are going to lose because we're just out competing them. We're more successful. We're more technologically advanced, things like that. So, you know, I think that is kind of why you got to have, and, and so this idea that their habitat is getting smaller, their, being stressed by humans. So is putting those regulations that help that is meant to try to help them in the way, in the best way under our system of expansion and development and consumption, it, it, it is that is that the best thing we can do, right? And I think the answer kind of is yes. I mean, if you look at no laws, no regulations versus having some regulations, you know, you have to, yes. Is it, is it fucked? Yes. It's totally fucked, but you can't just be like, oh, well it's fucked. You know, we might as well just let everybody do whatever they want. Cause you can't do that. Right. I mean, so you have to, you have to put in laws and regulations as a mechanism to try to control some of the the downside you know sure. and i i think you know it, as much as californians hated it um when the you know when the uh the governor pitted um almond farmers against uh residential people for water use that was a tactic that was a tactic that he used to shift blame for the price of water. And it was so he could raise water. Well, what does raising the cost of water do or raising the cost of a resource? It causes people to have to think, okay, I cannot waste this resource like I had been because I have to pay so much for it. So it's a mechanism to incentivize conservation, right? And that's, that's basically, you know, I mean, look, DUI, that's a it's a law right if you go drive your car or you're drinking and you get caught you get in trouble for that does it stop people from doing it no but it's there to disincentivize people from doing something so yeah. you know regulations and laws have intended benefits and do those benefits always work out that way no but are we better for a seatbelt law are we better for not letting people drink and drive or drive under the influence of drugs yes sure yeah i didn't, I didn't know we we're getting into all laws no i'm just saying i'm just no i'm just saying is a, I, I, what i'm trying to talk about is is functionally how I, yeah, laws I don't think and we regulations work the rule of law is important but sure i would say in, in a lot of these they're just not well thought out and and i mean there's there's plenty of examples where you can legislate an animal into extinction and that's you know i think there's some good examples in australia where the problem is not necessarily that they don't have land because australia has plenty of natural habitat right and you know maybe some some localized extinctions or something due to mining or due to you know some some kind of farming or something out there might occur but for the most part um there's there's a lot of place for these animals to go now the the problem that i that i've seen where they've legislated animals into extinction are things like feral cats you know you've got mm -hmm. feral cats now they have bro 
you know, they say, oh, this animal's rare. We're prohibiting any an- any person from working with them unless they're a zoo or some other institution, you know. But there's private individuals that care passionately about this small little, you know, rodent or, or marsupial species out in the middle of the desert. And they would give their gladly give their time and energy and money to you know, protecting this species through, you know, a a captive breeding population of those animals. Yeah. They're not allowed to do that because the government says, Oh, you're you're not a zoo. You don't know what you're doing. You don't, you don't have enough knowledge to make this happen. Whereas, you know, that, that could potentially result in a, uh, you know, an arc species, if you will, or an arc uh, for these animals to, to weather the storm or to figure out something in the meantime to get, get rid of the cats, you know, and, and then reintroduce those to the, to the lands and you know yeah zoos are are a great place for that but zoos have limits i think we learned that you know you can't the zoos can't breed everything and uh and a lot of times they are they want to have flashy you know different uh, species that everybody cares about or that wants to see in captivity they don't care about some little small marsupial maybe um so you know it becomes difficult and it's a very complex matter of course but if they just make a blanket law says, nope, sorry, nobody, and they don't consider any alternatives, you know, then we wind up with uh, things like animals becoming extinct because they're protected from anybody other than, you know, small numbers. But I guess, you know, when I think about Australia's importation exportation laws, I mean, what, what, what is the design? What was the function of that? So that you reduce, the loss of native species leaving the continent and you potentially hopefully reduce the invasive species coming into the continent now you know you know governments have done intentional releases of non-native species which have never worked out well and they still do it and i don't understand why they don't get that but you know nonetheless um you know these animals i mean continental boundaries are are huge barriers for um dispersion of animals so you know the idea that you would say hey we don't want our animals on every continent uh in the in the world uh we want our animals here and we want to manage those animals here now well, we make some exceptions. Well, we work with zoological institutions or, um, you know, uh, educational institutions to, you know, permit our animals to them uh, or or export our animals to them in a, uh, you know, in a documented, reasonable fashion for certain things. Yeah, they do that. They do do that. Um, so, you know, I think I think what we're kind of talking about is the average keeper just gets screwed. They're like, Hey, listen, uh, at, at a, at a global level, we're not worried about Chuck and Justin's ability to keep carpet pythons. That's not our concern. As a, as a, you know, somebody who runs a continent, uh, we're worried about our wildlife. We're worried about our native wildlife. We're worried about what happens to our wildlife when it goes other places and the damage that can cause. Because, I mean, while nobody's saying, ah, oh, damn you, Indonesia, your freaking retics are loose in Florida now and you're screwing up our ecosystem, they certainly look at that animal and say, dang it. That is that thing's loose and breathing in our ecosystem, Burmese pythons, whatever. Um, and and it's causing us havoc. So 
Um, I, I definitely think that they're, you know, when, when we talk about legislation like that and, and importation, exportation rules, they're there for a bigger reason than the average keeper. And I, I know no one wants to hear that crap, but it is kind of true. Well, I mean, I think I think that's pretty out outdated and outmoded way of thinking in, in, on their part. And I think, you know, most people who keep Australian reptiles would agree. I, I look at, you know, that that actually has has uh, promoted smuggling. You know, you see a lot of of these cases where people are getting caught smuggling animals. And, um, for example, you know, shingleback schemes, you, you're seeing so many uh you know, exports to China and, and other, uh, you know, Asian countries being interrupted or caught, you know, you wonder how many get through because these guys are sh- sending through, you know, 30 or 50 shingleback skinks in, in a single shipment. And it's just ridiculous. And of course the animals suffer. So, you know, they're not, not necessarily stopping this and it's actually getting, it seems to be getting worse. I mean, you see it pretty commonly where they'll, uh, find find these uh, smuggling rings or, or you know catch people getting ready to send things out and um, so you know I, I get that they care about their wildlife and that's good um, and I get that they want to keep that I think the the main thing is they just want to keep that their thing you know so you have to go visit Australia it's kind of a tourism ch- tactic or something to say if you want to see these animals you got to come to our country to see them now. I, you know, I, I enjoy seeing an animal in a zoo or in a cage or whatever, but, you know, I'd much rather see it in the wild. So I think keeping it in, in, in my reptile room actually motivates me to want to get out to Australia. Now, are they preventing these things? Like I would, I would say no. I mean, we can get pretty much most of the, you know, interesting or, or exciting or, or species that most people want to keep they're already available in Europe or, or the United States. We can actually keep some species that the Australians can't even get a hold of and keep and they're bred commonly in the U S I would say one example is the, um, leaf gecko, um, Phylurus and Nicola, the riverine leaf gecko, which, um, Australians are not, they're, they're, they're not allowed to, to collect or work with. Now over here, they're bred very commonly. They're you know a couple hundred dollars. They're not that expensive, and and there's quite a few of them. At least at the last reptile show that I, I noticed, the, there were there were a lot of them available for sale. And yeah, I mean the original ones were most likely smuggled through Europe and and bred there and then imported into the United States. But guess what? Nobody else is going to need to go into that habitat and smuggle the riverine leaftail gecko out of Australia because there's no there's no incentive to do that. They're already available here. They're relatively inexpensive. So why would anybody risk, you know, jail time or or you know bad PR or whatever, uh, whatever uh, stops smugglers from smuggling, you know, why would they do that when they're an inexpensive animal here? So I think, you know, once the 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 regulation, this strict regulation that Australia has um, actually promote smuggling in the first place. Um, you know, maybe it has the intended effect where people that work with these things that have been smuggled at one point say, Oh, these are really cool. I want to go see them in their natural environment. And then they go over to Australia and visit whatever. So well, maybe but, it works. But I mean, but, is, is, I mean, I don't know. How, how, okay. So yes, smuggling still happens. 
Uh, it still goes on, but I think, you know, by, by frequency and by, um, you know, instance, you don't, you don't see smuggling, um, on a grand scale. I mean, you're, you're talking about, in, and, and they go to other countries, but we're not getting stuff from Europe maybe, anymore. Maybe not in the that, U.S., those, but, yeah, but, so, we, but Asia is, is grand numbers. I mean, I went to Rottnest Island, and I was hoping to see the endemic shingleback skink, the Rottnest Island shingleback there. Um, it's a subspecies of, of Rugosa, but um, I went out there and I saw one, which was cool, and I was excited about that. And I was thinking, man, I thought they were, they were, you know, they were all over the place. And then when I got back, I saw that somebody had gotten busted that had collected like 50 or 60 of them off this island, which, you know, obviously has a, we, we rode around the island in a day. So it's not the hugest island in the world. Right. So it's got a limited population and to take 60 adult shinglebacks from the island, that's going to have an impact. So, you know, it's not, well, it's and, not and serving so, this, yeah, but so, you know, uh, kind of what we're talking about is stuff's not coming out of Europe anymore. Why? Because Europe cracked down and the U S has cracked down. And so those, those smuggling supply chains, um, are, are harder to move through anymore. So, you know, because some Asian countries are not, uh, enforcing the other end of Australian exportation, uh, it incentivizes smugglers to, so, you know, it's a, it, it has to, you know, if you're going to put a regulation to stop something, it has to be enforced on both ends. Otherwise you're, you're absolutely going to have people who are like, Oh, cool. All I have to do is get it out of Australia and then get it over to Asia. And I'm cool. That's no problem. But if Asia is like, Hey, we're not doing that. That's not cool. We're going to respect Australia's laws and Australia's regulations. Then, then what you see is smuggling goes down, just like that supply chain that came from Australia to Europe to the U.S. and and Europe and the U.S. said, "Okay, enough. We're not going to do well, that." I don't think it's Europe. I think it's the U.S. said we're not going to allow anything in from Europe. I think they're still being, you know smuggled into Europe, especially certain countries within Europe, you know, and, and especially within Asia. And then, um, you know, Europeans and, and Americans may import from, uh, Asians as well. So sure, sure, I sure, guess sure. the bottom line is, um, they're still being smuggled. And, and then once they get in Europe and Asia, there is, a, a some kind of drive to breed them. So they don't have to go through the risks of smuggling. And once you have healthy, established populations, there's no need to smuggle anymore. So I guess I, I just think it's kind of foolish of the Australian government not to say, hey, let's capitalize on this. Let's legally export certain things, you know, that are have healthy populations. We can do an economic or, or uh, environmental impact study and make sure that we're not over harvesting something. But something like shinglebacks where over there, you know, they're they're not very expensive. They're kind of looked on as just like a lower, you know, starter beginner animal. Whereas over here, people are paying ten, twenty thousand dollars a piece. If the if the Australian government said, hey, okay, we're going to allow the export of these bonded pairs of shinglebacks to the U.S. and Europe, and we're going to send out, you know, uh, sixty pairs each, you know, that would that would start something going in in Europe and Asia or in the U.S. and and. Uh, potentially would result in the need to not smuggle them anymore, you know, and, and would definitely um, uh, slow down the ability of smugglers to say, hey, let's make a lot of money off of these animals because then they, can, they, they can't sell them for 10 grand anymore when you can get them through Australia legally for, 
you know, a few hundred dollars. Well, and I think, I think you can see the, the exportation of green tree pythons, uh, as, as kind of an example of that. Right. So, you know, if there was no, if there was no rules around that and they just let whatever, you know, however much you could take out, uh, over here, that obviously would not be good. That would be probably over, you know, it would be too much take, from from the environment um now and i i know there's been argument around that and maybe it's an inconsequential um you know amount of animals you know uh but the the fact of the matter is is as these animals lose habitat it does become consequential so you can't make a you can't make a now argument and and expect it uh to hold forever um but i mean that's a that's a good question because they they have been um, supplementing, you know, the, the, what they thought were front farm bred animals and for, for export, which is, which was revealed by Natushin and his uh, colleagues to be, um, completely, uh, fabricated on most accounts where they were just taking wild animals and marking them as farm bred. So they weren't curbing, you know, with those, well, those regulations weren't necessarily curbing collection from the wild, but what it did well, show was that or the, or the, the, enfor- the, or the, or the way they were enforcing those regulations yeah, was, was yeah. insufficient to ensure sure. that they weren't pulling the bait and switch with wild exactly. animals. And most, most governments don't have the budget to enforce these laws. And so they put the laws in place, just hoping, Hoping that people will be good citizens and ignore the fact that they can't enforce them while they're enforcing more, you know, other uh, more pressing matters like DUIs or, or well, but or but 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 like but going course. back to those examples, I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> you, you you at some level that's what putting a, a regulation or a law into effect is is that it's, it's just a discouragement. Are you going to stop it? No. Will you always have you know the the enforcement capacity to catch one hundred percent of it? No. But when it's found, there's a mechanism to hold people accountable who are breaking those rules, right? Sure. But yeah, I mean, it just seems like the. The mechanism and the ways to hold accountable are, are woefully inadequate. I mean, I know a, a repeat offender um, within Australia who's been caught multiple times smuggling and and having you know illegal animals in their collection, and they get a little slap on the wrist, they get a little fine, and they were making you know 10x more money from the illegal animals than the fine was worth. You know, so there's no disincentive to stop. And so they're multiple offenders. They keep doing the same things over and over, which, you know, frankly, is is bad for reptile keepers in general and bad for the, you know, the, the hobby in general. So, sure. I mean, these these regulations are, are useless in that case. You so, know? Do you, so, so, well, but at the same right, you know, one that one could say the exact same thing about environmental regulations, manufacturing yeah. uh, sectors regularly break environmental laws because the fine uh is far less uh than the money that they're going to make by by cutting their costs by not having to properly dispose or properly uh you know um put put uh controls on their emissions so you know it's not it's not just reptiles it's but at the same time what is that is is the argument fuck it it doesn't work we might as well have no rules we might as well i I I never that but that's my point is not not to say that we should have anarchy and just do whatever we want but that we need to have effective 
if we're going to go to the extent of making a rule, it's, it shouldn't be for somebody's political career. It should be to actually help the problem because the people making these laws that, you know, the, the big businesses just break because they can easily afford the fine. It's it just kind of, you know, what's the point? It's not doing what it was meant to do. So why have that? But, but that's, that's, but, that's, that's the, but that's not the that's not the the regulations fault. That's the enforcement of it, and that's no, that's, no, that's it's, that's the, it's the regulation fault because when they put it in, they didn't have enough forethought to say, okay, when we catch somebody doing this, we're going to find them tenfold what they made from their illegal activities. You know what I mean? Like it's just like you put some blanket uh, fine on it, and they go. Well, if we're going to do this illegally, we just got to make more enough money to to be able to cover the fine, and we're good to go. You know, they get a, it's basically amounts to just a slap on the wrist. And so, like I said, these repeat offenders are, are allowed to keep a repeat offending. You know, I had a, a a wildlife regulator from Australia come to me and interview me because I witnessed some firsthand illegal activities involving animals, and I thought, oh, this will do it. This will put him away. You know, this will put him in jail or or stop him from doing this. And then I heard not too long after that, he was back at his old games, making, you know, doing illegal activities with animals. It had no effect, no impact on him. He's still basically at large and doing, doing things to, to cheat people over, to um, bring in illegal animals, to, you know, all well, the things and, that and these, so- these rules are supposed to pro- or protect from or to, to prevent, but it does nothing. So what's the so- point of having that? So we have an issue around um, a a um, you know a weighted a weighted set of consequences, right? When it comes to wildlife and animals, those consequences aren't the same thing as if you do if you human traffic people or you you know you abuse people. There's there's real. Or you have a little marijuana on you, you know, you get right. 15 years in jail for that. Well, I don't know. Not in California. <laughs> I mean, anymore, yeah, not yeah, anymore. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, it used to be. The, oh, well, and those those rules were made to to basically to um, pick on, you know, black people or, you know, the, the minorities because they say, oh, that's a, you know, that's those those early laws were basically uh, racist laws <laughs> sure. for the most part and so sure. well you know, it was if, a way to target it was a way to target people it's a, sure. it's a yeah. cheap if, way if you don't have the the correct or the you know the the real motive in mind if you're not if you don't care about the drugs what you care about is is pushing down a, a race or a people you know then then yeah the 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 law is flawed and I, and that's my contention with these regulations that are in place is they're not necessarily to protect the wildlife or to do anything about that they're just there to to make the politicians feel better about themselves or to get reelected that's that's my you know take on a lot of these laws now are there some wildlife laws and environmental well, but most laws that are don't say of course there are yeah but most politicians don't say hey you know I stopped the exportation of carpet sure, pythons. Well, oh, no, come on. No, they don't give a Maybe crap. Maybe over about in Australia that. they do. They, you know, we will prevent those, you know, Americans from keeping our reptiles. Well, I think I they'll be like, hey, we what their original you know, intention was, but whatever the, their original intention was is not working because we have access to just about any, you know, Australian reptile that we want to keep over here for the most part. That are no, easy, they'll, they'll know, say, are, well, we had a we had a, a shark that that killed somebody, uh, and so we went and found that shark and we killed it. So you all can feel safe. So I mean, I don't 
I don't necessarily think that they're looking at the conservation piece of it, you know, and touting that as their now, certainly that's, you know, I I get it. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, it's not, a. It, that, that's not their mainstay of their campaign, but, but necessarily, you know, it, I just, I, I don't know, man. I think I hear what you're saying. I understand what you're saying and, and you're right. What, what, what I'm trying to defend is a flawed system. Um, and I would argue that if you want to talk flawed systems and regulation, it's, it's across the board. It's every, everything that we talk about is a flawed system. So you have to do the best that you can. And if you have lots of money and you can buy off your financial regulators or your environmental regulators or those government agencies that are set up to watch you and you have that much money, then you're going to win that, you know, and, and that's what you yeah. see with p- polluters. That's what you see with, you know, uh, financial institutions that cheat, that cheat, uh, consumers and get away with it. And, and it's what you, and, and you don't necessarily see that, um, with, w- you know, with smugglers, you don't see them getting in trouble for this because that's not where the focus is. It's not, it's not. And, and, and so, you know, Again, yeah, they don't, I guess they I, don't really care. Right. It's not about the animals. It's about, you know, whatever, you know, motivation they had in the first place, which was either reelection or, you know, I got to do something and this is an easy thing to do. I don't know. Like, I don't I don't honestly know why the Australian government doesn't allow some limited export of, of you know, animals that are that are very stable populations across the country. And that's, it yeah, just and I mean, it, it, it is kind of interesting because, you know, you can get permits and, and you can be properly uh, permitted to own very dangerous animals here in the United States, uh, large cats, you know, uh, any, I mean, really any, it depends on your state, but really anything, right? Um, so, the, you yeah, know, there's definitely a, depends on where you live. But yeah. Right. Uh, right. Depending upon. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what I was saying. And, but, you know, d- does that. You know, that's there's there is a process in place for that. There is a um, legal way to do that. And and as we've seen, you know, people who don't follow those processes, people who don't do it legally get held accountable for that. And yes, is the wheels of justice when it comes to animals slow and flawed and 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 not not um, you know, probably not as good as it should be. Yes, absolutely. But that's not where people's focuses are. And and you know, just like uh just like for environmental regulation, the EPA is not funded the same way that trade and commerce is, right? That that's it's, and it's just a, a a function of focus, right? Focus and priority. Um, so you know, I, I mean, I I do think that you know every and when you're talking about laws and uh, and regulations, shouldn't states countries uh, have the right to put forth legislation that they think will protect animals. Now, do they always do it right? No. Do they always focus on it right? No. But can we agree that, um, that, that, that regulation should be an, should be there for them if they need it. And yes, as things get worse, that those regulations need to have, um, some teeth, they need to work. They need to have some function. Um, the problem is we're just not doing it right, right now. We're not doing it well. Um, 
And and I think some of it, like Australia's, you know, no exportation kind of rules is is just kind of silly. But I, I definitely think having those rules is important, right? Uh, and they just need to make sense. Yeah, um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's that's for sure. And and you know, having a nanny state, which you know, oh, we know better than you do. And and when there's, I guess, I have issue when there's no way to do the things you love or the things you want to do, as long as it's not, you know, impacting somebody else's life. Um, I think, you you know, there should be a way to do that. You know, if I want to keep venomous snakes in Utah, there should be a legal way for me to do that. Yeah. Should there be a, a license or should there be some kind of check and balance? Of course, you know, that's not a problem to me, but when they just blanket say prohibit, you know, prohibit everything yet, you can open, you know, carry a gun around and, and sure. there's no yeah, yeah. consequence for that. I mean, you know, that's, that, that's a strange thing to me, you know, where, where they, they care so much about, Oh, you know, you can't keep a venomous reptile, but go ahead and keep these guns in your house. <laughs> you know, no, no big sure. deal. That That's just fine. So I, I guess I just disagree with the hypocrisy and kind of those, uh, uh, motivations for a lot of these legislative actions. Well, we're just not um, just equitable. We're just yeah. not equitable as we regulate danger in our society. Exactly. So you can get in a car, but you can't, you know, you can't yeah. uh, own a venomous animal. And, and so, yeah. you yeah. know, I mean, and that, and that's ridiculous, but at the same time, like, you know, um, I, I, I think that, and and um sorry people out there this is going to piss people off but you see people who just want to push back on any type of you know, oh you can't tell me shit you shouldn't tell me shit there shouldn't you yeah. shouldn't be putting rules you shouldn't be making laws we should be able to do and keep what we want it's like the gun argument if i want a rocket launcher i should be able to have one but mm-hmm. why but why yeah. You don't need yeah. one. Like, I get it. I get it. Rocket launchers are cool. I think they're fucking cool too, but you don't need one. Right. Um, yeah. and, and so, you know, I, I, I do think that the part of the problem is that people and, and, you know, rather than get engaged and I, and I'm, again, I'm probably going to get jumped on for this, but you know, uh, everybody loves us arc because they're fighting for, for us and they give money to them and, and, you know, but, but people, people want the easy, right. They want to say like, Hey, I, I donate to us arc and us arc is going to go out there and take care of my right to do what I want. And I think, yes, that's true. But at the same time, like, you know, you also have to be willing to get involved uh, because not all legislation is bad legislation, not all things that, we do as a society, you know, that inhibits our freedom are necessarily bad things. So being active in that and being a part of it and, and, you know, um, being engaged, uh, to help create stuff that's actually beneficial laws that actually make sense and are beneficial require everybody to do so. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's, it's really tough when you have just one, uh, uh, you know, agent or one, um, you know, group like us arc that, that, you know, that there are a handful of people, uh, they work off of a limited, you know, um, donated budget. Um, and here they are running around all 50 States trying to put out all these fires. Um, and that, and, 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 you know, um, 
it, it, it's tough. And I'm not saying that people don't get engaged. I'm not saying that there's not people out there doing things. There are, I understand that. But at the same time, like we have to understand that not all regulation is bad regulation, but we see so many examples like you've talked about of people just doing it, doing it to do it. Not real, not real regulation, but just saying, yeah, Burmese pythons are in the Everglades. We're going to do this so that I can say I address this. So, so it's a feather in my hat for reelection, uh, yeah. not necessarily really addressing those issues. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, if, if wildlife regulations are done properly, I think they can have, they can definitely have a big impact. Do I think animals should just be stripped from the wild, you know, irregardless of, of the consequence? No. And I do, I think habitat should be destroyed looking for animals. Of course not. You know, there should be rules and laws. There should be something, but they need to have the intended effect and they need to be enforceable to some extent. And granted, sure. I mean, yeah, governments have limited budgets and we don't want to pay extra taxes so they can go, you know, sniff out the minor crimes. We don't want to have a, a nanny state necessarily. And, and I do think we kind of need to police ourselves and that Absolutely. goes along way you know Huge. if you're if you're not supporting people who are obviously engaged in illegal activities you know if you're if you're asking questions you know i want to see pictures of eggs hatching now you know reptile people have a, tar- a hard time when they see something that they've wanted their whole lives and they see it available and they're like well it's probably smuggled but i really want it so i'm not going to think about it you know and that's i think we have a responsibility to uphold that law if we really care about these animals we need to be able to say okay that looks fishy i'm not gonna go for that and i and i've been offered you know some um australian reptiles that i was told were smuggled and i'm like "Ah, i I think i'll pass on that i don't want to be involved with that you know do i think do i fault others if they do that and then captive breed them and make them available i no i don't you know but it's just something that i personally and and that's probably hypocritical critical too because if you know if i'm willing to take the benefit of it and be able to work with the animals but i'm well, i think that's your moral it, constitution right like yeah, you're, you're kind yeah. of talking about you're talking about you and you don't but but you know in the larger scheme of things you realize how silly some of this stuff kind of is yeah, and so yeah. you know um my it's moral a complicated constitution issue. is yeah. not yeah I, I don't i don't necessarily fault others for doing it now it depends on how you're doing it if you're doing it yeah. recklessly and you're doing it you know to an extreme Just like yeah man money. i don't support yeah. you you're not cool no. that's not good yeah. right so i mean yeah. I, I i definitely think there's you know and and i think you know uh, that as as society gets bigger as our problems get bigger you know more legislation is going to be proposed that is just you know laws yeah. and rules and you know uh are the way that that the framework of our societies feels like they can move things uh you know into the future right so we're as things get tougher as problems get bigger we're gonna see potentials for more legislation more laws more rules and i think rather than have this attitude of like ah you're not gonna fucking tell me what to do with my animals i have every right to own anything i want i should be able to get it understand that that you know if that's going to be your attitude they'll just make that decision for you and you won't be a part of it but being yeah. being being at the table accepting the fact that hey 
it, it is it is these agencies and governments' rights to enact these laws. And it's probably your obligation if you disagree with those laws to get involved and make sure that you're giving valuable input, giving valuable knowledge, contributing, not just sending money, but also being involved. You know, your money works, but you yourself um, are, are probably more valuable than just your money. Well, and that's, you know, that's definitely the value of U.S. ARC is they're out there alerting people to things that are happening in their state so they can contact their congressperson and say, hey, this is not cool with me. You know, I'm yep. I'm your I'm your constituents and I disagree with this. And here's why you give them, a you know, a, a rational, logical, well thought out answer. They're going to have to listen to that because yep. they're and, and the more of you, you, you can gather and the more, you know, power you have. And so you know, we need that, we need that U.S. ARC effort to keep us from, you know, getting tied down and bogged down with just silly legislation. So thank goodness that, you know, they're out there doing what they do. And I would Absolutely. encourage you know, us to, to contribute and make sure you're contributing to U.S. ARC to protect our, our rights and, and to prevent silly legislation that has no teeth, that has no impact on what, you know, what, what they want it to do or what they think it's going to do. If we have well thought out responses and we have people in our corner, you know, that goes a heck of a long way. And so, you know, we need to support that. Mm -hmm. And then I guess that's my kind of final thought is I'm just against useless legislation you know if there's rules that actually protect the animals preserve habitat but also provide some kind of um you know way to be able to work with some of these things if you know somebody so so desires and is willing to go to the effort and and jump through hoops to be able to do that there should be a path for that Mm -hmm. and you know granted some things may not fall under that but i think there's very few exceptions to that where if you're responsible if you have the correct setup if you have the correct um you know way to keep them and and if you have an outlet in case you lose that interest or you move on to something else i think that you know there should be no reason in america why you why you shouldn't be able to do that responsibly so that's kind of my 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 final thoughts on that nice yes uh i mean and you know i i think i think that you know uh laws and and regulation have their place. And I think that, you know, in in the future, uh, we may see more law and regulation get thrown our way. And, uh, you know, I think that, um, that everybody should stand up and be upset about ridiculous, you know, rules and regulations that don't address these issues. But when something is really a problem, uh, I think it's important that, that, every reptile keeper be honest and say, yeah, you know what? That is an issue. We do need to do some stuff. I think, you know, hunting permits for the Burmese Python are probably a great idea. Let people go out there. Let people take those things out of the wild. Sure. No problem. You know, and if they they only find, you know, if they only find five, great. You know, if they find 50, great. Like it it just, uh, you know, I, I, unless they're a redneck saying, Hey, that yellow rat snake, that's a Burmese python. I got to kill it. You know, that's, there's, there's always some danger to that, that attitude as well. (laughs) Sure. I mean, yeah, hopefully you're not that willfully ignorant, uh, to, to, as to, you know, what you're hunting. Um, and, but I would argue that, you know, 
Um, there's plenty of hunters who are conservationists who sure. really yeah. get that piece of, I think, I think, unfortunately, uh, a lot of hunters and not that there's not a lot of redneck ass hunters that, you know, just want to get drunk and shoot guns and are dangerous when they're out there, uh, and, and probably reckless. But I think, the vast majority of, uh, you know, wildlife, uh, sporters are, you know, environmentally conscious conservation minded people, sure. uh, yeah. just to put that out there. Um, yeah. and you know, I just, I think that, um, you know, laws and regulations have their place and I don't think we're going to be in a, a place in the future where we can afford to just, blanket pushback off of everything that comes our way because, you know, fish and wildlife, um, and, and, uh, other agencies, they don't, they don't really have to listen to us. They can enact all that stuff really without us. And if they decide that it is such a gross problem, they'll just go ahead and do it. Uh, and, and we can fight it. And in the end, if they can make the case, then they will win. And, the, and, and I think, you know, when it comes to stuff like that, we have to be involved. We have to be, like you said, you know, the dumb legislation doesn't make any sense. Uh, and so let's not, let's not, let's not let dumb legislation go through because, you know, if we're there and we're involved, let, let's get that politician who just wants the W and he doesn't care how he gets the W uh, or what it looks like. Let's get him out of there. Let's, let's make yeah. the W uh, a W for the animals and a W for reptile keepers. You know what I mean? So, yeah. um, well, and and again, you know, USR can, can play a, a really great role in that where they can, you know, propose changes to legislation. Absolutely. So maybe, maybe legislation is good, but it's flawed in some way. That's not going to actually protect the animals. If they're in there giving suggestions, Hey, that's, you know, a great idea, but maybe you could, would, would consider this. So, you know, I think that's another way that, uh, you know, organizations like USR, can can play a yep. positive role in, in put, putting forth reasonable and well thought out and good legislation that actually protects think, the animals. That I it's think zoo, I think zoos. I think educational institutions, scientifically based research. Um, ought, you know, and and um, well thought outspoken individuals in our community can support that effort to create positive. Uh, outcomes around legislation and and reptile rules, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's probably where I would go. I, you know, do we have a long way to go? Is a lot of it just, you know, that low hanging fruit you talked about earlier, Justin? Yes. Yes, it is. And that's, and I get that's why people are frustrated. I get that's why people just completely are like, nope, 100%. Nope, not doing yeah. this. Don't, yeah. don't care. Here's my money, US ARC fight these people all, all yeah. the way. I, I get that. I do get that. But as somebody who, you know, uh, is, is in, is in environmental science, understands what's going on with our environment and, and, and has kind of a, a bigger idea of, of the, you know, the impact, uh, that we're having on our environment. I, I think we need to consider well thought out, you know, well, well done legislation uh, that we can contribute to, uh, so it's not just a, a ridiculous car wreck. Yeah. So that's 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 where I'd end. All right, man. Well, uh, 
you know, there's probably more more things we missed and things we didn't consider. So if you guys out there listening, you know, have other aspects. I think down the road we'll probably put out a show where we kind of talk about some of the stuff that we did miss. So if you've got some ideas or or if you or if you're listening and you have a good idea of a of a topic, you know, let us know. Get yeah. we'll get you on here. So if you if you come to us with an idea, pre- be prepared to have somebody you want to fight and and bring them on. <laughs> I had a, a a funny experience. So um I I was approached by somebody to be on their uh, podcast. It's uh, um and and you know, well, that'll come out in a, in a bit here. But, um, so I said, well, yeah, come on our podcast too. And I said, you want to fight anybody? And he said, yeah, I got somebody in mind. And so I said, yeah, go ahead and invite him. And so, uh, in the meantime, this individual was like, was at a, at a reptile show and he showed some pictures. He bought some, um, Darwin crossed with inland, right. To make, you know, inland albinos or whatever the Darwin mm-hmm. cross albinos. And, and I was like, Oh, you know, what, what did they, but they they somehow produced fifty percent heads, so they were like seventy five percent inland, twenty five percent Darwin possible head for albino, and they were like a hundred bucks a piece. <laughs> I'm like, Whoa. what is the point of that? So I was kind of yeah. like, you know, poo pooing the what? Why did they even make those? Like, what what's the point of that? And I was a little upset about that. And so he's like, oh, you know, maybe he, he thought I, I got upset. I'm like, it doesn't matter. You know, they're, they're snakes in a box, but I, I wouldn't have made those. And I don't know why they made those, but anyway. And so he was thinking I was a little upset. And then all of a sudden this guy comes up to him at the reptile show and he says, Justin Jewlander said to fight you. he thought it was was because of the uh the the (laughs) intergrade carpets (laughs) but it was but it was to be on the podcast so i thought it was just perfectly timed you really uh so i got a good laugh out of that i thought it was pretty funny so we'll have those guys on the show here soon we have a few more guests lined up um next week should be pretty fun so Stay tuned for that. And uh, all of you out there don't have yeah. to listen to the windbag co-hosts go on and <laughs> yeah. on and on. Um, mostly that's us going, oh, crap, we don't have any, we got to get a show out. So we'll, we'll throw something together. Right? No, but, you know, I, I do liter- enjoy uh, debating with you. And- we, we literally picked this topic <laughs> right before we went on. So yeah. uh, hopefully so that we, didn't show too badly. But yeah, um, we're trying to get more guests on. So, yeah, like you don't like Chuck said, you don't have to listen to us the whole time. But yeah, we're, we're enjoying I enjoy I enjoy these topics and it's good to kind of think them through and come up with some you know, ideas. And, and uh, even if people are like, gosh, these guys are idiots. I mean, I would have said this and I would have said that like, <laughs> Hey, cool. As long as people are thinking about it and people are, you know, in, engaged in, in kind of the ideas, uh, that that's the important part to me. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. All right, man. Well, um, hope you guys enjoyed and we'll, we'll catch you soon for, for another episode. Um, check out all the, podcasts under the morelia pythons network uh, umbrella and you won't be disappointed and um we'll catch you soon for another episode of reptile fight club have a good later one. everybody fight club. Yeah.